Well, let's stay in this mode of worship. As we come into the presence of the Lord, let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we just sing to you because we love you and because you gave all of yourself to us. We want to give that back to you. And yet the passion we feel when we sing is because we know there's so much more we could give to you. We know that there is a divide between where we want to be and where we're at right now. And so the tension we feel this afternoon is we long to be like you and to be with you and to do everything we know we're called to do. And yet, God, we, we come today with open ears and an open heart. And as we sing to you, we are declaring to you again, change me. <laughs> change me, God. I long to be like you. I long to be with you, and I long to just live out the power of God in my life. And so, Heavenly Father, we do pray that during this time we would stay not just singing, but now let us worship in our listening. Let there be such a clear sense that this is still a mode of being in the presence of God, because very much we cannot learn from a man. What can a man teach men about God? It must be, as 1 Corinthians talks about, it must be the Spirit of God that acknowledges, that reveals God. And though we have your word, we still, we could all read the Bible on our own. There's something we want to hear from you. And a human cannot conjure up that strength. And at the same time, Hearts must be prepared. Ears must be open. And so prepare the speaker and the listener and let the Spirit of God do what he wants and speak to the very crevices of our heart. Get between joint and marrow. Get between all the division of soul and spirit. And get right to my motive. Get right in the middle of my agenda and get me out the way. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are jumping back into our series called The War Within. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking about the tension we feel because we acknowledge there's things we want to do or there's people we want to be. John Maxwell is a very well-known leadership guru, many would say. He has written over 71 books on leadership. Um, he has spoken to over uh, 200 some uh, companies and international government leaders and he's spoken at the I believe West Point and the National Football League. He's spoken to all these different places about leadership. And so he was asked one time, what is his greatest leadership challenge? And now you would think that his answer would be some kind of unique experience he's had with all these different entities that he's worked with or based upon all the books that he's written he would have some unique answer when asked at this conference during a Q&A his greatest leadership challenge he said my greatest challenge is me he said 
of all the people that I've led and of all the books that I've written about leadership, I find the greatest challenge in leadership is leading me every day. And he says the greatest leaders come to the conclusion that before they can lead people out there, they have to first learn how to lead themselves. And I presume that this afternoon, the challenge that John Maxwell speaks of, of leading yourself, is really the challenge that we all have today, of becoming the person that we want to be. There's places that we, there's things we know we want to do, there's places we want to go in Christ, but we're not there yet. And so we're challenged by that. And so that is the experience that we're having. Paul, the apostle, uh, he writes in the book of Romans. Now, we mentioned this earlier that the Bible is basically broken down into the Old Testament and New Testament. And the New Testament is broken up into three sections. One of those sections being the Gospels. The other section being the book of Acts. The book of Acts essentially is a book of history. And then you have the epistles. Well, Paul writes a, an epistle. Epistle is basically a letter written to a church. And as he writes to that church, he'll write about a particular problem that they'll have. Well, he writes to the Roman church, and they have a bunch of Jewish people who have become Christian, and now one of their challenges is learning what is it like to live for Christ, because they didn't grow up that way. So they're now learning, and many of us are in that same predicament. Those of you that did not grow up in a Christian home, or you didn't have Christian friends, things of that nature. And so he's writing to them, and he's speaking to that experience of leading yourself. And in Romans 7, he describes it this way. He says in Romans 7, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, that, that's what I keep on doing. And then in verse 20, now if I, do not, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me. All right, and so earlier we dealt with how this explanation regarding sin is, and I gave you this illustration with these buckets, and uh, I had some challenges the other week, and I pray the Lord would keep me from having problems with this analogy this week. But what we said was that Adam was the first person. Now, in the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, we see the first person, Adam. And Adam is the person that agreed with God. And he says, listen, I know we shouldn't eat of this tree. I agree with you. And yet he ends up doing the very thing he knows he shouldn't do. And so Adam is the first inconsistent person, the first imperfect person. And what the Bible describes is that we are in Adam. That in essence, we have the problem that Adam has. And so when we say things like, I'm imperfect or I'm inconsistent, what we really are talking about is sin. Now, I wanted to describe this in a way so you could understand what I'm talking about with sin. So what's that next slide? Sin. This is what we're talking about. Sin is the issue. I'm not just talking about imperfections. We're talking about the sinfulness in our lives. That's what the Bible is describing. And what we said was that Adam was a person, the first sinful person, and that we are in Adam. And I said my beautiful wife 
is in Adam, and I said my kids are in Adam, and I said Martin Luther King was in Adam, and I said Obama is in Adam, and I said all the governments, everybody's in Adam. Everybody. And we're all born that way. And I encourage you to go find a very cute two-year-old. Did you do that homework? None of you did the homework. I told you, find some really cute kid. One that really dazzles your mind and encourages you and gives you flowers and things like that. And walk up to the mom and ask, is that an innocent child? And the mother will bust out laughing because she knows as cute as they are, when you bring them home, there's some issues that come out. The problem in that child and the problem within me and you is that we have a sin problem. We're not just imperfect. We're sinful. That's what the Bible describes. And so the imagery that he's talking about is not just the kind of image that I want you to walk away with with buckets. See it more like a disease. And Adam was the host, and it was passed down to all of us. It is like a power that controls you. So much so that there have been days when you have said to yourself, what's gotten into me? Why am I doing that? What got into you was sin. And that's what the Bible describes as our greatest problem above all the different problems that we feel like we may have. Our greatest problem is sin. And so that is the deep issue that we want to deal with. Now, what we dealt with a couple weeks ago was the fact that it was through Christ that our sin problem, the I have to do it factor, was broken. And so what we said was, when people are in Adam, they, through their belief in Christ, are now placed into Christ. And now you move from one position to another. You have a power that comes over you that I just got to do it. Sin was very natural to you. But now there is a power source in Christ that you are now given by your belief in Christ. And now you're free from sin. And what we said was, sin is not my master. And we said it again and again. And we chanted, sin was not my master. And then we had people email me. I had people email me. And I had phone calls. And I had text messages. And people were like, man, that was so freeing. Sin is not my master. That's so encouraging. It's so encouraging to know we have freedom from sin. And many of you experience more freedom. But some of you, truth be told, even when you yelled, sin is not my master, sin was like, I'm still here. <laughs> so it's not just from chanting, right? It's not just from mustering up, sin is not my master. Sin's like, yes, I am. It's not from words. It's not from just passion. There's got to be something deeper. And it won't just be my sermon. There's got to be a mentality that we have. That we can live out the freedom that we read about. That we could live it out. And so today's message is, is, is fashioned in a way where you could live out this freedom that we declared and we proclaimed so that you could take some mental steps to live out the freedom that you long for. And even if you're not a Christian today, don't you want to be the person that's consistent? There's things that you know that are right to do. Don't you want to do some of those right things? The person that never made a mistake was Christ. And if you believe on him, his righteousness is now given to you. Don't you want to be like him? 
We all want to be like someone who has a higher righteousness. Well, he's like that. And he doubles up and dies for our sin. How about that? So, today's message is giving us this imagery. There are three words that I want you to kind of staple in your mind. It is the word declare, it is the word decide, and it is the word devote. Declare, decide, devote. Declare, decide, devote. Declare, decide, devote. Now, we have to, I didn't preach last week, so I have to do a little back study because we've had a lot of things happen and we forgot some stuff. So we want to start with declaration, but I just need to do some back work. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Romans chapter 6. And um, if you have your phone, that's cool. If you're not, that's fine. We'll have it up on the screen. Romans 6, 3. And it reads, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, the context of this in verse 1, Paul is answering a question that we all feel. And it says this in verse 1. Basically, it says, You know, shouldn't we keep on sinning? If Christ has died for our sin and we're not going to hell, can't we just keep on sinning? Since we know he's he's given us a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what it says in verse 1. And so in verse 3, his answer to that is, don't you know, maybe maybe there's something you don't know. Maybe you don't realize that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, when you first read this, you might be thinking of baptism, which is kind of the public declaration of the inward change that happens in a life. But remember, this is what I mentioned to you. Baptism is not a Christian word. Baptism is a word that Christians hijacked from the Roman world. It was used all the time, and this is what it talked about. Baptism always explained immersion for the purpose of transformation. Immersion for the purpose of transformation. So they would take maybe a white cloth, and there would be purple dye. And they would take that white cloth and dip it in the purple dye so that when that white cloth goes down in the purple dye and comes back up, it's now a purple cloth. It is immersed, but then transformed. I explained to you, and I've explained this to you again, how to make pickles, praise the Lord. Listen, you take the cucumber, a hot cucumber, you put it in vinegar, you go down a cucumber, you come up a pickle. It is immersion for the purposes of transformation. So the word baptism was already being used. So when he says you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, he's not talking about the baptism. Next week we have baptisms, praise God but he's not talking about the kind of symbolic act of baptism where you take someone in water and then you bring them back up. That's not what he's talking about. Here he's talking about what the theologians would call the baptism of the spirit. And he's talking about when you become united with Christ and you and Christ are now, you are in Christ and you have made that decision to be with Christ. And so now you've gone from Adam to being with Christ. And what amazingly happens is the spirit of God now comes and rests in your life. And so you now are immersed in Christ. You went down a sinner, but you come up a believer and the spirit of God is inside of you. You are united with him. And so what he's talking about here is the baptism of the spirit and the unity you have in Christ. 
And so the baptism that we do do on, on, you know, on, on next week, that's just something public we do as an expression of what God has already done, all right? Now, this then gives us the context uh, of verse 10. In verse 10 of Romans chapter 6, this is what Paul will say. He will say, the death he died, speaking of Christ, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now earlier, he was talking about the resurrection. He says the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And what he's talking about in essence there is that when Christ resurrected, what he did was he defeated death. Now you have to understand that before sin entered into the world, there was no death, there was no dying. And so once sin entered into the world, death was the greatest expression of the consequence of sin. So sin always has consequences. Death was the greatest blow that man could take. And yet Christ defeats death, meaning he defeats the greatest blow that sin could ever give. So when he resurrects, it means he not only defeats death, that's great on Easter, but it also means he defeated sin. And he defeated sin's greatest capability. All right, now, stay right there, stay right there. I see y'all working. Like, hmm, that's, oh, okay, sin, death. Here we go. Now, watch this, watch this. Verse 11. Verse 11. It's all going to come together, watch. Verse 11. In the same way, count who? yourself. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what he is saying is that the resurrection that Christ had, that defeated death and had mastery over death and defeated sin, in the same way, count yourself having the capability and power over sin that Christ had, not because of you, but because who you're in, because of the power of Jesus. And so he talks about you being united with Christ, and now this is living inside of you. The word count there, the word count, it's, it means to calculate or conclude or believe. It's like you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking, okay, well, Christ died, but he rose, and that means he defeated sin. And so, okay, that's the first part. And then, but I'm united with him. I mean, the Spirit lives in me. And so the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. So it's like calculating all those things and then coming to a conclusion. In the same way, count yourself. Look at yourself and conclude that the power Jesus had, you have. Come to that conclusion. That's what he's getting at. The resurrection power that we celebrate. Conclude it's in you. Conclude that you have the potential of power. And this is really what it's getting at is that sin doesn't have power over you anymore. That's the conclusion. In the same way that you could easily say, well, look at Jesus walking around. He defeated sin. Count yourself the same way. But this is a step of faith. You can be a Christian and believe that Christ has risen from the dead. You can be a Christian and believe that his power is available. You can be a Christian and all those things be true, but you may not reckon 
as the King James would say, or count yourself in the same way. You may not believe you have the access to the same power. It's as if thinking that there's power available, but you don't access it. Consider it this way. If you would imagine a car and the battery is dead and you are beginning to try to start the car and you hear that sound that you know the battery is dead. And then what happens is another car pulls up and it's got a brand new shiny battery and it gets the cables and it puts it up to his battery and then he puts it onto your battery. Then there's only one thing left to do is turn the ignition on. And once you turn the ignition on, the power of that other battery now flows to that dead battery and now you can do what you could not do before. In the same way, the power of Christ is available to us, but we must take first a declared step of faith that I have the power of Christ dwelling in me and I, am, I now have that available and it's, I am capable of defeating sin. But I'm capable of defeating sin, not because I'm disciplined. I'm capable of defeating sin because of what Christ did. It's his work that he's done. And it is trusting in his work. And it's trusting in his work that it'll flow to me. It's believing that it's available to me. Even as I say this, some of you are, I could see your minds working. Well, you know, that's true. I mean, I believe that, but I still do things. I mean, you could preach this stuff, but still live in defeat. So declaring it is the first step. And trusting, declaring, I am free from sin. I'm not going to get comfortable with sin. This is not who I'm going to be. But declaration is the first step. And the second step that he says is decide. Make this decision. Yes, we declare that sin has no more power over me, but then we decide. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it have victory. That's the idea of reign. Don't obey its. Now notice the way that Paul puts it. He, he uses this phrase, its. It's, he talks about sin like it's a thing. He talks about sin as if it's something outside of him, but he never describes sin as his identity. When sin becomes our identity, we can never have victory over it. I'm so awful. I'm so jealous. I'm just an angry person. This is just who I am. If you, you know my mom? You know my mom? Okay, if you knew my mom, you'd know that's why I am the way I am. You know, it's, I just, some stuff happened to me when I was young, and this is why I do what I do, and this is just who I am, and this is the way I'm always going to be. I mean, this is just the way it is. And nobody's perfect. You know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. Back when I was in college ministry, there was a, um, a young man who came to our ministry, and he had done a 12-step program, and in the middle of us talking, he said, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, what do you mean you're an alcoholic? He says, that's what they teach you, to say you're, you're always going to be an alcoholic. I was like, well, you're, you may struggle with alcohol, 
But that's not your identity. You're not an alcoholic. You're in Christ, man. You're a Christian. And the power of Christ dwells in you. Your identity is not alcoholism. Your identity is not a sin. Your identity is being in Christ. Keep this in mind. Sin may describe your activity, but it will never define your identity. And the moment at which you allow, ah, just, this is just who I am. The moment you let that become your identity, you'll never have victory. You must see yourself in a different light. And so the question we really have to wrestle with is which side of the argument do we allow ourselves to identify with? Are we kind of just staying in this in-Adam mentality? Even though we're a Christian, are we staying in this in-Adam mentality? Nobody's perfect. You know, this is just the way that I am. I mean, you get in front of that computer screen and you're like, you know what? I'm single. This is just what I got to do. You get alone by yourself and you're like, no one's around. No one knows. And besides, this is just how it is. You're quietly at your job and no one's around and you're like, everybody does this. You quietly reconcile in your mind that sin not only is capable, but it, it's, it's, it's your identity. It's something that you've become comfortable with. Or do you fight as if power is available to you? And not only do you say, well, Christ defeated sin and I can defeat sin, but you look at yourself and you say, I am not a lustful man. I am lusting, but I'm not a lustful man. I, you know, I struggle with gossip, yes, but I'm not a gossiper. That's not who I am. That's not my identity. That's not what I'm going to slip into. That's not who I'm going to be. And I may fall one week, but I'm going to get back up. But I'm not going to stay there because that's not who I am. You see, we have to wrestle with that because we will either see ourselves as making excuses for our sin or we will fight sin with everything inside of us because we know our identity and we know who we are. And the last point he makes, not only must we declare ourselves free from sin and make that decision, that calculated decision that we will not let sin have victory, but we must devote ourselves, devote ourselves to God. Verse 13, do not, chapter 6, verse 13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. What an interesting way he put that. Now, when he talks about an instrument of righteousness and he talks about members, he's literally talking about limbs and body parts. That's what he's literally talking about when he says your members. In fact, in Colossians 3, 5, he mentions the same kind of thing. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passions and evil desire and greed. And he's just talking about your actual body. And he gets into this imagery of saying God has created you for an intended purpose, an intended way of living. And he's intended to use you and use your body. And he says, don't offer your body in a way that it was not intended to be. And so he gives this image 
of God playing you like an instrument or sin playing you like an instrument. When I was uh, coming up, I don't know what kind of church some of you guys grew up in. When I was coming up, um, there was actually a discussion in the church that the drums were evil. Were you, anybody were in this kind of church? The drums were evil. And they were, you know, they were in there in that kind of music. And the drums are evil. And I remember thinking, how can drums be evil? And what the conversation really came down to after we had this discussion was, I don't think drums can be evil, but I think evil people can play it. And it really doesn't matter. It's not about the drum. It's about who's playing on it, right? It's not the instrument. It's how the instrument is being used. And so much of our life, we have identified ourselves a certain way. And God wants us to dedicate, devote our bodies, devote our minds, devote our hands to righteousness. There's a prayer that that we could even pray. Listen, it could go like this. It could say, God, today I offer my hands to you and I offer my feet to you and I offer my ears to you and I offer my eyes to you and I offer my mind to you and I offer my heart to you and I offer all of me to you, God. And I give you every part of me and use me as an instrument because when we are sinning, it takes place in our bodies and our minds are mesmerized, our eyes are mesmerized and we are going places we know we ought not to go. And so we must dedicate ourselves to the Lord our God and give ourselves over to him. Mm. And this is so difficult. This is so challenging. And it's not enough to hear a sermon, is it? It's not even enough just to read your Bible. But this must be your sermon that you preach to yourself. And that's why it starts with you declaring to yourself. This is not who I am. And you preach, you know, this one kid one time said, you know, I'm a great preacher. I said, well, tell me how you preach to yourself. Because the greatest sermons you'll ever preach are preaching to yourself. The greatest message you'll ever have is fighting your own sin. Don't help everybody else. Help you. Fight the very sin that you walked in here feeling like you're wrestling with. And the question is this. For us, are we living defeated or are we living in victory? Are we letting it reign in our mortal bodies or are we having the victory? And this is when the congregation starts to feel the guilt and the weight is, oh my gosh, he's talking about me. That's me. I do that. But that's the beauty of this is that you can't defeat sin, but he already has. That the strength of defeating sin is not in you. It's in him. And it is why we say, I give myself to you. Why? Because he gave everything for us. He gave his hands for us. And he gave his feet and his limbs and his eyes and his head and his nose. He gave it all for us. So we give it back to him. And he empowers us. And you will live a life of victory. You can live a life of victory. But you must Declare in your mind the power of Jesus is available today. Today it's available. Not tomorrow, not when I get, when I get married, I'm going to get it right. No, today. You must declare that today in your life. 
And it is a declaration you need to hear again and again. This is why we get in our word. This is why we come together as saints. This is why we do, you know, in our church, we do growth groups and city groups and mama groups and daddy groups. We do all types of groups because we need each other. I was with my growth group at 9.30 on Thursday night. We were asleep. We basically, it was basically a sleepover. We were all tired. Talking about sin. In McMahon's, we were at this bar and we were all talking and we're all just sharing. And it's just like, ah, and what were we doing? We are not just declaring to ourselves, but we're letting other people declare to us. And we are encouraging one another and building each other up and reminding ourselves, you can defeat this. Because the enemy will, shh, 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 don't tell nobody. Don't, just, shh, shh, crazy. Don't tell nobody. Now, between me and you, you know this is who you are. And you go, yep. It's quiet. Just keep it quiet, it's secret. But when you expose that thing, when you expose it, and you say, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And we let the believers, all the believers in Christ, come around and we start talking about sin. And we all start declaring to one another, no, you, you, you have victories. We have victory. And let me remind you of the gospel that you know you want to live out. And as we start preaching the gospel together, we become this incredible movement of God. And the Spirit starts working. Not, and listen, it's not just because we're obedient. It's because we're fighting. Oh, I know, that don't make no sense, right? It's not just because we're obedient. Some of you will fight to the end, but some of us are not even fighting. Some of us are not fighting, and I know it's so difficult. But we declare it, and we make that decision together, and we devote ourselves together. And then you see the power of God at work. I want to make one thing clear here, because... I understand that this is kind of a, a diverse room of people who have been walking with Christ for some time and then some of you who are new in Christ. So let me just make one thing clear and just so clear. Just because you've been walking longer in Christ doesn't mean you have this down. Because one of the slight, it's just a slight move that the enemy makes. It's, it's a slight. You'll hear this and you'll go, yes. Declare, yes, 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 I must decide, yes, and I need to devote, yes. And he'll just whittle it down to one word, discipline. If I just discipline myself not to sin, I won't do it. If I just tell myself, stop it. And that's what we do. And we start fighting sin in our own strength. And so what we do is we become private sinners struggling alone, fighting sin alone in our own strength. And we think if I can just get up earlier to read my Bible, that'll do it. And I'm telling you, I am telling you, victory does not come by discipline. Discipline is the fruit of the Spirit, praise God. But victory does not come by discipline. Victory comes because of the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And it comes by your daily devotion to Him and watching Him move. And letting him fight your battle. That's where victory comes. Oh, it is such a slight move of the enemy to get you believing that you can fight one alone, but fight in your own strength. 
I'll see the image of the car with the battery and he hooks it up and he's like, oh, just turn the ignition, just turn it. And he's believing and that is the first step. It is believing. It is believing. Believing on Christ for his power to work in you. Making that decision and then devoting your body, devoting your mind, devoting yourself to God. The song we are going to sing is the song we just sang before. It says, I surrender all to you, everything I give to you, withholding nothing, we said, and then I give you all of me. And I just pray for you, I pray for you, that you would do that every day. That you would give your all to the Lord Jesus who has given all for us. And that you would lay, you would pray that prayer, God, I dedicate my mind, I dedicate my heart, I dedicate my hands all to you. I want to devote those things to you so that you would be the person that you know you long to be. And I pray we would be people who fight. I pray we would be people who fight. Don't grow comfortable with any sin. Don't grow comfortable with any sin. Any sin. Fight it like it's the last thing you do. But fight it through his power. Fight it through the, the victory that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And there is so much joy in that. Now, as I get ready to pray, and as we sing, that's, that's that first step of worship. I pray that you would have this moment before us that you would feel the freedom to lift your hands as a declaration to God, I really do give myself to you. I give all of me to you. And then if you mess up, Next week, come back again and say, I give myself again, I give myself again to you. Because no matter how many times you feel like you screw up, come back again and fight. Never rest in your sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just lift you up. We pray, Jesus, that you would help us to live out the freedom we have in Christ. God, we thank you for... Ah, the beauty of the gospel, Lord. Uh, remind us of the, the gospel power that, we, that lives inside of us. God, remember that we are infused with the power of Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, I, I pray earnestly for us that, that the first step is the most important step. It is that declaration. The power that Christ had is available to me. I pray that we would live that out and I pray that that would not be something that just gets stuffed in our Bible as a good thought or a good note, but it would be something that resonates with how we fight daily. Oh God, for those of us who don't know you and have not come to the conclusion that you are the leader of their life, Heavenly Father, I pray that today they would see just the very nature of how you work and how you not only died for us, but you gave us your righteousness. And I pray, God, that they would just live out that freedom, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just work in our people. Let us be people of surrender. 
Let's be people that live free. And as we sing, God, I pray that we would declare to you again that we would decide again, but we would devote again all of ourselves to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you rise as we, as we sing together? Thank you.